Hello, and welcome back to Politics Unboxed and the Retrospective Podcasts. This is episode three of our trip back through 2022 as part of the Retrospectives series. And in this episode, we will be looking through the months of July to September. And what a great month that is, by the way. There really is plenty to cover here on the podcast In July alone, I'm going to be talking about so many different resignations, I may have to put a speech pattern on fast-forwards just to stop this being a five-hour podcast. As well as this, plenty of summer shenanigans, a leadership election, and a change of monarch. Anyway, you didn't come here to listen to me waffle. Well, actually, you kind of did, but not like this. So, before I get distracted further, let's get on with this episode of the Politics Unboxed podcast. Right then, well I see no reason other than to uh, jump straight in. Let's do that with July. Well then, this is the month that finally did it for Boris Johnson. Almost three years to the day since he took over from Theresa May, who must have been rolling in the aisles during this month, by the way. The Conservative Party need to start looking for a new leader. Furiously scrapping to be a successor, sort of plethora of, well, quite frankly, pathetic politicians, scattered with a few people who actually stood half a chance. As well as this, trouble on the Labour benches after the strikes that will be such a large part of the final segment of this podcast retrospective start to begin in earnest, leading to some confusion on the party line, sure I'll never say that again, as well as the picket line. Let's get started then, shall we? 1st of July. Chris Pincher has the Conservative Party whip withdrawn and will sit in the House of Commons as an independent member of Parliament. Yeah, the Pincher scandal is well and truly hitting those headlines during July. Uh, Remember, going back into the 30th of June, it was already starting to make waves. Also on that day, a formal complaint about the conduct of Chris Pincher was lodged with the Independent Complaints and Grievance Service, or ICGS. Now that's quite a big deal. July the 3rd. A further six allegations against Chris Pincher emerge involving behaviour over a decade. The complaints are that Pincher made unwanted advances against other male MPs, one in a bar at the House of Commons, and one in Pincher's parliamentary office. One complainant is reported to have given 10 Downing Street details back in February of 2022, and expressed concerns over Pincher becoming a whip in charge of other MPs' welfare. At this point, Pincher maintains he has no intention of resigning as a Member of Parliament. Also on that day, Work and Pension Secretary Therese Coffey tells the BBC that Boris Johnson was not aware of specific allegations against Chris Pincher at the time of his appointment as a Deputy Chief Whip in February 2022. 5th of July, just two days later. Downing Street concedes that Boris Johnson was aware of some allegations against Chris Pincher when he was appointed as Deputy Chief Whip in February 2022. In an interview with the BBC's Chris Mason, Johnson says he had been told about misconduct complaints against Chris Pincher before appointing him to the role of Deputy Chief Whip. Johnson describes his decision as a bad mistake. On the same day, Sati Javid resigned as Health Secretary, saying he can no longer, in good conscience, continue serving this government. Just 10 to 15 minutes later, depending on which news reports you believe, Rishi Sunak, the Chancellor, also resigned, saying the public expect government to be conducted properly, competently and seriously. Andrew Morrison resigned as Prime Ministerial Trade Envoy to Morocco, quoting, Others must square their continuing enjoyment of your patronage with their personal sense of decency, honour and integrity. But I no longer can. The Vice Chair of the Conservative Party, Bima Falami, resigned on air during an interview with Talk TV. 
Jonathan Gullis, the then Parliamentary Private Secretary to the Secretary of State for Northern Ireland, resigned, saying, We've been focused on dealing with our reputational damage rather than delivering for the people. A slew of other junior ministers and private secretaries went, including Saki Bharti, Parliamentary Private Secretary to the now former Health Secretary Sajid Javid, Nicola Richardson, uh, no, sorry, Nicola Richards, rather, PPS to the Department for Transport. Uh, she described the Conservative Party as currently unrecognisable. Virginia Crosby, PPS to the Wales office, Alex Chair, Solicitor General, resigned, citing the Owen Patterson scandal, Partygate and the Chris Pincher scandal. I mean, Laura Trott also resigned as PPS to the Department of Transport, saying, Trust in politics is and must always be of the utmost importance. But sadly, in recent months, this has been lost. The 6th of July. Another set of resignations. Will Quince, Education Minister. Robin Walker, Minister of State for School Standards. John Glenn, Economic Secretary of the Treasury. Victoria Atkins, Minister of State for Prisons and Probation. Joe Churchill, Parliamentary Undersecretary of State for Agri-Innovation and Climate Adaptation. Yes, I did say that right. Stuart Andrew, Minister of State for Housing. Felicity Buchan, PPS to the Department of Business, Energy and Industrial Strategy. No, I didn't say that right. Selene Saxby resigned as PPS to the Treasury, citing concerns over trust, truth and integrity in government. Claire Cattino went as PPS to the Treasury, calling the events of recent weeks a distraction. Another slew of PPSs would go in the next few hours. David Johnson then resigned as a PPS for the Department of Education, before five ministers issued a joint resignation statement. Kemi Badenoch, Neil O'Brien, Alex Burgett, Lee Rowley and Julia Lopez, saying it has become increasingly clear that the government cannot function given the issues that have come to light. They all called on Johnson to resign. Mims Davies resigned as Parliamentary Undersecretary at DWP, saying Johnson had failed to uphold the highest standards in public life. I don't think anyone could have accused him of doing that. Duncan Baker, another PPS. Craig Williams, another PPS. Rachel McLean, Minister for Safeguarding, resigned. Mark Logan resigned. Mike Freer resigned from a number of different roles, Minister for Export and Minister for Equalities, stating it was in addition to creating an atmosphere sorry, an atmosphere of hostility for LGBT plus people and in protest over Johnson's leadership. One of the few people who didn't get to resign was one of the people who called on Boris Johnson to resign, and that was Michael Gove, who was sacked as Secretary of State for levelling up after calling for the Prime Minister to leave office. In private, though. At least he didn't do it in public. Later this evening, or rather on the 6th of July, Suella Braverman was on ITV's Peston show with Robert Peston. Now, she was the Attorney General at the time and said she would stand in a Conservative Party leadership election if one is called, essentially saying, I think there should be one called. Not a great look. Also on that day, Michelle Donnellan was appointed as Education Secretary, Nadim Zahawi was appointed as Chancellor of the Exchequer, moving from the Education Office, and moving to take his place at Education was James Cleverley. This will become important later. And by later, I mean on the 7th of July, when Michelle Donnellan resigned as Education Secretary after just 36 hours in post. Also on the 7th of July, after pressure from inside his cabinet, from the 1922 committee, and from all of those who had just left his cabinet, Boris Johnson resigned as Conservative Party leader, prompting a ministerial leadership election. Now, Tom Tugendhat, chair of the Foreign Affairs Select Committee, immediately announced he would put his name forward for the Conservative Party leadership election. A number of members of Parliament, however, did not put their name forward. And this was somewhat of a surprise. Dominic Raab, the Deputy Prime Minister, Michael Gove, the former Secretary of State for Leveling Up and long-time leadership contender, and the former Health Secretary, Matt Hancock, all ruled themselves out of the race to succeed Boris. 8th of July. Using a website that had been up and running for at least a couple of months, former Chancellor Rishi Sunak launched his campaign for the Conservative Party leadership. But even on the 8th of July, Boris Johnson's administration 
wasn't quite free from resignations as Stephen Greenhall resigned as Building Safety and Fire Minister. Talk about missing the boat. In rather more sad news, also on this day, Shinzo Abe was assassinated in Nara, Japan, whilst on a campaign stop to support his fellow LDP member in an election. He was shot at twice, and was shot once with a homemade firearm. Medics were unable to revive the former Prime Minister of Japan, his vitals collapsed on the way to hospital. He was just 67 years old. A controversial figure, Mr Abe was nonetheless one of, if not the most influential Japanese politician in its post-war history. 9th of July. Former House Secretary Sajid Javid launches his campaign to be the next leader of the Conservative Party. Also a former House Secretary, Jeremy Hunt launched his campaign on the same day. Not a former House Secretary, Transport Secretary Grant Shapps launches his campaign to be Tory leader. This was really a day for announcing candidacies because not only were those three announcing, but Nadim Zahawi and Kemi Badenoch also announced their intentions to run for the Conservative Party leadership. One person who wasn't running, though, was Ben Wallace, the Defence Secretary. He'd been considered a favourite to succeed Boris Johnson if you looked at Conservative home polling. But he ruled himself out of entering the leadership contest, saying, I want to stay at defence. He considered the war in Ukraine a serious enough task to stay in his ministerial posting. And he, I'm sure, knew that nobody would dare touch him. He was too popular in the party. 10th of July. Secretary of State for Trade Policy Penny Mordaunt launches her Conservative Party leadership campaign. Her campaign video included images of Johnny Peacock, the British Paralympian, who immediately asked to be removed, and also images of South African Paralympian and Olympian Oscar Pistorius. Yeah, that one. Wasn't a very well put together video, I don't think, Penny. Also on the 10th of July, Foreign Secretary Liz Truss became the 10th Conservative Member of Parliament to launch a bid to succeed Boris Johnson as leader. There was an 11th person in that list as well, though, Remen Chishti. He declared his intention to enter the Conservative Party leadership race. You can forget that name now, don't worry. 11th of July. Prime Minister Boris Johnson refuses to give his public support to any of the 11 candidates who are running to succeed him, instead preferring to concentrate on the job of government. If you believe that, you'll believe anything. Also on this day, the 1922 committee chair Sir Graham Brady unveils a timetable for the leadership election. The election is due to complete on the 5th of September. The work of government is still going on, however, because... Remember this act, because I've told you it before. Go back to last time's retrospective part two, if you don't know. The Conduct of Employment Agencies and Employment Businesses, brackets, amendment, regulations, 2022, was approved by members of Parliament. 12th of July. Deputy Prime Minister Dominic Raab endorses Rishi Sunak. There we go. Also on this day, Home Secretary Priti Patel ruled herself out of running for the leadership role. Transport Secretary Grant Sharps also withdrew from the race and endorsed Rishi Sunak. Another withdrawal was Rehman Chishti alongside former House Secretary Sajid Javid. It's thought that none of those three would have made the minimum threshold for entering the leadership ballot in the first place. With nominations confirmed, eight candidates were going forward. The 12th of July was quite a busy day, though, because the UK government also had to decline a Labour Party motion for a House of Commons vote of no confidence in the Boris Johnson-led caretaker government. Paul Novak was also named as the next General Secretary of the Trades Union Congress. He's going to succeed Frances O'Grady when she retires at the end of the year. 13th of July. In the first round of voting for the Conservative Party leadership contest, in which only members of Parliament for the Conservative Party could vote, Jeremy Hunt and Nadim Zahawi were eliminated. Rishi Sunak and Penny Mordaunt were the frontrunners. A day later, on the 14th of July, Suella Braverman was eliminated in the second round of voting. 
Sunak and Mordaunt continued to be front-runners. As well as this, on the 14th of July, Shell CEO Ben Van Burden announced that Europe may have to ration energy in response to declining natural gas supplies from Russia. He also predicted a really tough winter in Europe and sharp rises in energy prices. On the 15th of July, President Joe Biden travelled to Saudi Arabia and fist-bumped Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman. This despite a vow from Biden to make MBS a pariah. It's a funny-looking pariah, isn't it, when you can fist-bump them? On the 16th of July, North Macedonia's parliament voted to accept a deal with Bulgaria that had been negotiated by France to remove the latter's objections to the former's attempt to join the European Union. North Macedonia had to agree to some concessions, but it looks like the European Union will be back at 28 in the near future. 18th of July. Tom Tugendhat is eliminated in the third round of voting in the Conservative Party leadership election. Rishi Sunak continues to lead the way amongst members of Parliament. The caretaker Johnson government also won a House of Commons vote of no confidence on that day. Yes, there had been one eventually accepted. It was won 349 votes to 238. 19th of July. Tobias Elwood has the Conservative Party whip withdrawn for missing the previous day's confidence vote in the Johnson ministry. I wonder if missing confidence votes in governments will become a theme under the next Prime Minister. I don't know, you'll have to listen to next time's retrospective for that one. Also on the 19th, Kemi Badenoch is eliminated in the fourth round of Conservative leadership voting, with Rishi Sunak again topping the poll. The 20th of July. In the House of Commons, Boris Johnson takes his final Prime Minister's question time. Also, Penny Mordaunt is knocked out of the Conservative Party leadership race, leaving just Rishi Sunak and Liz Truss to go head-to-head in a ballot of party members. Penny Mordaunt had been running a consistent second place during all of the ballots of members of Parliament, but on the very final round when it mattered most, she dropped a third, after it was rumoured that some of Rishi Sunak's supporters swapped their votes to Liz Truss because they thought she was more beatable than Penny Mordaunt. We'll find out if they were right. And finally, also on the 20th of July, the Sizewell C nuclear power station received government approval with an estimated cost of £20 billion. 21st of July. The UK's COVID-19 public inquiry launched, with Baroness Hallett in the chair promising a robust look into the UK's handling of the pandemic and whether more could have been done. The Conduct of Employment Agencies and Employment Businesses Brackets Amendment Regulations 2022 comes into force on this day as well. Remember, I said this would be important later. I hope you are paying attention. It's all about those scab agency workers as they were labelled in the mirror, by the Express as Needed Emergency Agency Staff. I'm sure that won't be contentious at all. As well as the UK changes in Sri Lanka, a new president is sworn into office, Ranil Wickremesinghe. I definitely have got that name wrong, but I'm not going to do it again. He had been serving as his predecessor's acting president during Gotabaya Rajapaksa's absence. Remember his name from part two? People swimming in his pool and all that? Well, he resigned on the 13th of July, but from Singapore, as he'd already fled the country. But the resignation made it official. Some view the incoming president as complicit in Rajapaksa's mismanagement of the nation, as he had been one of his predecessor's prime ministers previously, but the protests seemed to die down in the aftermath of his election. 27th of July. Sam Tarry, a Labour MP representing Ilford South, is dismissed from his post as a shadow transport minister after joining picketing railway workers at London's Euston station during the 2022 railway strikes. Labour says his dismissal has nothing to do with his decision to join the picket line, but is due to unauthorised media interviews he gave throughout the day. As I said once before about a Conservative Party politician and policy, if you believe that, you'll believe 
anything. So that's July. And all I can say is, wowie, what a month. Um, Boris Johnson finally forced out of office. A lot of people thought that might never happen. Uh, Teflon Boris. Nothing sticks to him. Uh, evidently, something did. And it was the Chris Pincher scandal. Out of out of all the things, uh, this is the one that seemed to have the most cut through with Conservative MPs. Or maybe it was the steady drip, drip, drip that got to them. Um, we'll not really know until various Conservative biographies come out, I shall imagine. Um, that's normally when they sort of go postal on it all and, and set it all out in the open. But it certainly was a month that had a lot going on. Uh, Eleven Conservative MPs putting themselves forward to replace Boris Johnson in the leadership election. Um, some of them complete nobodies. I mean, Remen Chishti, bless him, he was a Labour councillor not 15 years ago, and now he's running to be leader of the Conservative Party. I mean, come on. I know parties change and ideologies change over time, but that's pushing the boat a little bit. I mean, really? I mean, he never really got off the ground, unfortunately, for him. But he put his name forward, and that's and that's something. Um, other people who really fell early, Jeremy Hunt, who got into the final two against Boris Johnson last time around, that was a big shock when he went so early. But I guess not really if you were looking at the way the Conservative Party had gone in the last three years since he went head-to-head with Boris Johnson um, back in 2019 to replace Theresa May. Uh, Sajid Javid, I think, was a, a big surprise to me, or a bigger surprise to me, um, that he was unable to even get, I believe it was 20 members of Parliament, to sort of back him, to even get on to the ballot in the first place. Obviously, one of the five who'd got through and and tried to replace Theresa May in 2019, there were some of those those awful TV media appearances back in 2019 from, I think it was him, Rob, Michael Gove, Rory Stewart and, and, and Boris Johnson. I remember that awful BBC debate where they were all on these ridiculous looking high chairs. Um, and and it just it just wasn't, it wasn't a good time for, for Sajid Javid. And of course, there is that old adage, if you wield the knife, you don't get to wear the crown. It was his resignation along with Richie Sunak who really sort of precipitated this exit from the government they were the first two big names to go and in fact they were probably the first two names to go from this swathe of resignations that happened in July so he was seen as a a bit of the assassin and that speech certainly in the House of Commons had shades of Jeremy Howe Um, it wasn't quite the, the cricket bat analogies, but it, it was it was close, you've got to say. And it, it certainly felt similar in tone. Right then, let's get on to August. It can't exactly be more exciting than July, can it? Oh, uh, no, no, it actually isn't. British politics always seems to take a little bit of a break over August, and as we enter silly season and talks of summer recess activities make the papers more than anything actually important, for the most part. This time around, there wasn't even much to sound off in terms of British politics, aside from the Conservative leadership hustings, which carried on throughout. One of them even took place at the University of Exeter. I wasn't there for it, don't worry, not even in a a, a media capacity. Now, I don't want to go through the hustings one by one as they take place, because essentially... They happened every two or three days from late July to the end of August. So I'll recap them here. B-O-R-I-N-G. Yeah, they were they were boring. The ones I did see, the questions were seemingly so softball they may as well have been made of foam. But then, you don't really want to actually rip into the credibility of the candidates to lead your party too much, I guess. But even the speeches seem so lacklustre. Penny Morden going on about... Not being a weather vane is one of my lasting memories of the Tory leadership election 2022, episode 1. Spoilers, if you didn't know there was a 2022, episode 2. So that about sums it up. Rishi was actually going in for the kill on Liz Truss, 
just a few weeks early, really, as it would turn out, with talks of economic catastrophe and the coining of the term Rishonomics, which I think is quite simply a disgraceful portmanteau. Oh, the um, the word portmanteau is actually a, a portmanteau in itself. Great fact. Where was I? Oh yeah, uh, talking about August. I really should wrench myself away from UK politics for this month, and therefore I shall. But to stop me spoiling this month's whole retrospective in uh, just this little introduction, I think we best get on with it. Shall I? 1st of August. The United States confirms that Ayman al-Zawahiri, al-Qaeda leader, was killed in a drone strike, supported and launched by the CIA. He took over as the emir of the terrorist organisation on the death of Osama bin Laden, meaning the US is now two for two on emirs of al-Qaeda. President Biden claimed in a press conference the operation did not harm any members of al-Zawahiri's family, nor other civilians. Hmm. 3rd of August. The sending out of ballot papers for the Conservative leadership election has been delayed amid security concerns after GCHQ warned that hackers could change people's votes. We were worried people were going to steam open the envelopes and change the ink signatures. No, I'm joking, of course. That's a joke about the Conservative Party being somewhat technologically illiterate. Thankfully enough, the fault and breach was fixed. Ballot papers went out over the next couple of days. 7th of August. The United States Senate passes the Inflation Reduction Act 2022 with a deciding vote cast by Vice President Kamala Harris. This is seemingly how the US manages their economy. They tell inflation to go away and hope it listens. Whilst inflation did peak in the US in June, this act is less successful than the Biden administration and Democrats in Congress had hoped. 8th of August. Buckingham Palace confirms the Queen will interrupt her annual holiday at Balmoral Castle to meet the incoming Prime Minister in September. It's believed she will travel down to Buckingham Palace. 9th of August. The US officially backs the accession of Sweden and Finland into NATO after President Biden signed the necessary documents to formalise the process. If you want to hear more about Sweden and Finland's attempts to join NATO, then go back to the last couple of episodes of the retrospectives, and you can hear me butcher some Swedish and Finnish names. Sauli Ninisto and Magdalena Andersson. Yeah, you'll find out who those people are if you listen to the last two episodes. 11th of August. The Prime Minister, Chancellor and Business Secretary meet with representatives of energy companies to discuss the ongoing price rises. But, as you may well have guessed, the meeting concludes without any firm resolution. 15th of August. The Cabinet Office announces the launch of an emergency warning system to send alerts about severe weather and other life-threatening events to mobile phones. The system will launch in October and cover England, Scotland and Wales. It just goes to show how much we might actually be suffering from some elements of climate change now that we have severe, severe weather alerts that can come through on your phone. Mental. 16th of August. Conservative Member of Parliament William Ragg announces on Twitter that he's taking a break from his duties due to severe depression and anxiety. It just goes to show that people in public life, just as in private life, go through very similar things. And I think a, a stark reminder that people do have these difficulties and that we need to be sensitive, ready to listen, but also ready to give them a little bit of space. 17th of August. Liz Cheney loses her Wyoming Republican primary to Trump-backed candidate Harriet Hagerman. The Cheney dynasty in Wyoming is dead. This also marks a sharp turn away from the Bush-Cheney-era Republican Party, which Liz Cheney still supports. It's a big win for Trump and Trumpism after Liz Cheney's starring role in the January 6th committee, which I have steadfastly forgotten about in the last few episodes of this retrospective, 
which has been investigating Donald Trump and his involvement in the insurrection. 18th of August. Former SNP MP Margaret Ferrier pleads guilty to breaking COVID restrictions at Glasgow Sheriff Court. I can't quite remember the full restrictions she was deemed to have broken, but it was enough to get her expelled from the Scottish National Party. I mean, it really is a, a bit of a sharp divide between what gets you kicked out of one party north of the border and south of the border. Dominic Cummings nearly got a knighthood when he went to Barnard Castle. Anyway, before I get myself too opinionated, let's move on to the 21st of August. A UN report warns of humanitarian crises in Pakistan after nearly two months of incessant, heavy monsoon conditions led to flooding and devastation across a national level. That situation is still in dire need. I would recommend, um, if you want to know more about it, just googling what happened over the summer months, because still uh, there are some real humanitarian efforts to which you can contribute uh, with the Pakistan Flood Disaster Relief Programmes. 23rd of August. Russia begins to shell the Zaporizhia nuclear power plant after being repulsed from the location by Ukrainian troops. Needless to say, that is a stupid thing to do. 30th of August. Mikhail Gorbachev, the last Premier of the Soviet Union, dies. His death was not particularly marked in the USSR's successor state, but around the world, leaders paid their respects to one of the men instrumental in the period of East-West détente which led to the end of the Cold War. 31st of August. Buckingham Palace confirms that the Queen will appoint the next Prime Minister at Balmoral, breaking with tradition by not returning to London to make the appointment. Also on the 31st, the IAEA, International Atomic Energy Agency, landed in Zaporizhia, marking the latest stage in their efforts to see whether the Zaporizhia nuclear power plant was still of sound structural integrity. Also, Democrat Mary Paltola won the special election in Alaska for their congressional seat, defeating Sarah Palin, yes, that Sarah Palin, and Nick Begich III, whose grandfather was former Representative Nick Begich Sr. She's the first Democrat to hold the congressional seat since Begich Sr., who left office in 1972. That's August done. Um, You'll notice quite a, a lot shorter in terms of recap length than July, for obvious reasons. Um, it, it would be a two-day long podcast if I went through every month the same uh, as I as I went through July, but I, I think it, it, it needed it. Uh, August, however, needs its recap, so let's go through it. Um, I mean, I could have gone through every Conservative hustings one by one, but I, I think you would have got bored, personally. Um, big news in, in, in this one, really. Well, you've got the Inflation Reduction Act passed in the US. I was a bit scathing of it, really, um, in here. But it, it, it did have, have some notable effects in America. It's not a, a complete lame duck act. It's not a great one. It, it hasn't had the effects it was it was sort of promised under. But it, it works. Um, the accessions of Sweden and Finland to NATO being signed by the US, that's that's big. I mean, we've had this as sort of a, a running theme, I think. Sweden and Finland joining NATO has popped up in every one of these parts of the retrospective so far. But it does mark a, a break in sort of, well, for Finland, about 70 years of foreign policy. For Sweden, about sort of 200-odd years of foreign policy. Um, so th- this is this is big news. Um, Liz Cheney losing the uh, Republican primary in, in Wyoming for that congressional seat. A seat her, her father, Dick Cheney, the, well... At that time, future vice president, as I'm speaking now, past vice president, um, had had held in the past. That's really big. It just sort of shows 
the influence Donald Trump still has over the Republican Party in some areas of the country. But Wyoming, this sort of dyed-in-the-wool Republican area, is that what dyed-in-the-wool Republicans want now? They don't want to be the sort of Liz Cheney's. They want to be uh, the Harriet Hagemans. Who knows? Uh, and then, of course, uh, Mikhail Gorbachev dying on, on August 30th. Again, I noticed it not particularly marked in, in Russia. Um, I'm not quite certain that Vladimir Putin wants to tell anyone that the Soviet Union collapsed. Um, he's quite happy playing his little game of, uh, well, playing his little game of Stalin, really, going in, into Ukraine and, and, and committing these, these horrible uh, acts. So I don't think it's any big surprise that Putin doesn't want to celebrate the life of Mikhail Gorbachev. I couldn't really think of a, a Soviet leader much more different to, to Vladimir Putin. Right, September. The start of the academic year and certainly the end of an era in 2022. It ought to have been the start of another era, if politics had behaved, but as politics tends to do, it didn't behave. Stay tuned for October to see how that one goes. Ukraine really made headway in their autumn offensive in September, and there will be more about that at the end of this month's review. But let's get into the month, shall we? 1st of September. It's time for a battle for the soul of the nation. Or at least that's what Joe Biden thinks America is headed for as he takes the airwaves on primetime television to say exactly that. It was a remarkably impassioned speech from the what, septuagenarian, uh, but it did end up giving Donald Trump a few more bits of ammunition to stoke the midterms fire against the president. Also on that day, in one of his last actions as Prime Minister, Boris Johnson confirmed the government would provide £700 million in funding for the Sizewell Sea nuclear power station. 2nd of September. Sky News reported that a cabinet minister and senior Downing Street aide in the Johnson government are facing allegations of sexual misconduct following claims made by two women at Westminster. We receive scant detail about the claims. Also on that day, Boris Johnson appoints journalist and author Harry Mount to the House of Lords. He will take up the role on the 11th of September. Um, that, that's his mate from the Telegraph, by the way. Great use of the House of Lords peerage scheme. The 2nd of September saw voting close in the Conservative Party leadership election. It would take them three days to find out who won, but that was all planned. A review carried out by the former Chief Inspector of Constabulary, Sir Tom Windsor, concludes that Dame Cressida Dick felt intimidated into resigning as Commissioner of the Metropolitan Police after an ultimatum from the Mayor of London, Sadiq Khan. Now yes, yet another story that I'd um, unfortunately overlooked. Um, Cressida Dick resigning back in April as Commissioner of the Metropolitan Police. But Sadiq Khan has accused that particular report, the one that says Cressida Dick felt intimidated into resigning, he accused it of being biased. Um, I think when your boss comes out and says, I've lost confidence in you, it's kind of hard for you to maintain any confidence in yourself and then imbue that confidence into your officers. So, yeah, you know what? It might have been the right move for Crestedic to resign, but I still think the report may well have just, you know, that, that kernel of truth in it. As well as this, on this day, during a tour of the House of Commons, members of Extinction Rebellion stage a protest by gluing themselves together around the Speaker's chair. That led to eight arrests and some questions about security. 5th of September. It's the end of the Conservative Party leadership election. Liz Truss is elected as leader of the Conservative and Unionist Party, winning 57.4% of the vote to Rishi Sunak's 42.6%. On the same day, uh, Priti Patel resigned as Home Secretary and Ben Elliott resigned as co-chair of the Conservative Party. This was allegedly to give Liz Truss a clean slate to build on. 6th of September. Boris Johnson 
makes his final speech as Prime Minister before stepping down from the role, referencing Lucius Quintius Cincinnatus, a Roman general who was called upon to return to Rome as dictator. Wow, that's a parallel and a half. His final words from the dispatch box as Prime Minister, Hasta la vista, baby. We'll find out if he's Nostradamus soon. Liz Truss then became Prime Minister of the United Kingdom and made a couple of immediate appointments. Therese Coffey was appointed as her Deputy Prime Minister and Secretary of State for Health. I'm trying to stifle the laugh. Kwasi Kwarteng, a long-time ally, was appointed as Chancellor of the Exchequer. James Cleverley went to the Foreign Office. Suella Braverman went to the Home Office. Wendy Morton was appointed as Chief Whip. Ben Wallace stayed as Secretary of State for Defence. There were a number of other appointments, but to avoid going through all of them, um, you know what? Go and have a look on Instagram at politics.unboxed. Have a look through a couple of the slides that say Liz Truss's first cabinet. And you'll see who was where. It'll be a great read, promise. I promise I haven't got my fingers crossed as well. Scotland's First Minister Nicola Sturgeon also announced on that day a number of new measures to offset the effect of the cost of living crisis in Scotland. They included a rent freeze for public and private rented properties, a temporary eviction ban, a freeze on rail fares and an increase to the Scottish child payment to £25 per week. The Scottish Government also announced the Criminal Justice Bracket Scotland Bill 2022, which is going to abolish the verdict not proven from Scottish law. Always a fun quirk, the not proven verdict, but maybe it is a little bit anachronistic. 7th of September. Liz Truss attends her first Prime Minister's questions as Prime Minister. Also, Buckingham Palace announces that the Queen has postponed an online meeting of the Privy Council after being advised to rest by doctors. 8th of September. Liz Truss is on her feet in the House of Commons announcing a plan to limit energy bills, with a bill for a typical household capped at £2,500 a year for the next two years. Well, you know, based on average use. It's going to be setting a price per unit based on the average use of a house. Not very well explained. I should know I was in the House of Commons listening to Liz Truss as she gave that speech. A new six-month scheme to limit bills for businesses was also announced. Just after Keir Starmer had given his rebuttal, House of Commons Speaker Sir Lindsay Hoyle was on his feet, making a statement in the Commons about the health of Her Majesty the Queen after Buckingham Palace announced she was under medical supervision. At 6.30pm, Buckingham Palace announces that Her Majesty, Queen Elizabeth II, has died peacefully in her sleep, aged 96. Immediately upon her death, Charles, the Prince of Wales, became King of the United Kingdom of Great Britain and Northern Ireland and Head of the Commonwealth of Nations. The 9th of September. The House of Commons begins two days of tributes to the Queen, after which Parliament will be suspended until the 21st of September. Liz Truss opened the proceedings by describing the late monarch as one of the greatest leaders the world has known. The 10th of September. Historic ceremonies take place at St James's Palace and the Royal Exchange with Prince William, Queen Camilla, serving politicians and former Prime Ministers in attendance. Also on that day, Charles III was formally proclaimed King. Senior MPs, including Prime Minister Liz Truss, swear an oath of allegiance to Charles III in a special session of Parliament. And the UK government announces that Monday the 19th of September, the date of the state funeral of Elizabeth II, will be a national bank holiday. 12th of September. Charles III addresses Parliament as monarch for the first time, then travels to Scotland, where he makes his first address the Scottish Parliament as monarch. The 13th of September, Charles III travels to Northern Ireland, where he meets senior politicians from Northern Ireland and the Irish Republic. He does not, however, have the opportunity to address Stormont, as it is not in session. 16th of September, Charles III travels to Wales, 
where he meets senior politicians and addresses the Senate in both Welsh and English, a parallel with his investiture as Prince of Wales. The 19th of September. After the requisite days of national mourning, the state funeral of Elizabeth II takes place at Westminster Abbey. It was attended by world leaders from across the globe. The 21st of September. The House of Commons returns following the funeral of Her Majesty the Queen. The UK government announces a scheme that will freeze wholesale gas and electricity prices for businesses for six months from the 1st of October. 22nd of September. The UK government reverses the ban on fracking in the United Kingdom, contrary to what was promised in the 2019 Conservative Manifesto. UK interest rates also rise from 1.75 to 2.25%, the biggest increase in 27 years as the Bank of England attempts to curb inflation. The UK government also announces a 1.25% rise in national insurance contributions will be scrapped from the 6th of November. The planned health and social care levy is also gone. The 23rd of September. Chancellor Kwasi Kwarteng delivers an emergency mini-budget in which he announces the biggest tax cuts in the UK since 1972. The 45% top rate of income tax paid only by the highest earners will be scrapped, the basic rate of income tax reduced by 1% to 19%, the cap on bankers' bonuses is scrapped, a planned rise in corporation tax also out the window. That increase in national insurance? Gone. A threshold for stamp duty paid in England and Northern Ireland raised for, uh, to £425,000 uh, for first-time buyers and £250,000 for everyone else. What a budget. What a monumental kamikaze move. We'll talk more about that in the... Uh, wrap-up of the month. 27th of September. Sir Keir Starmer delivers a speech at Labour Party conference in Liverpool, presenting his vision for a fairer, greener Britain. Alongside a boost in NHS funding, this plan would include a new publicly owned company, Great British Energy, and a target for 100% of the country's electricity to be from zero carbon sources by 2030. Also on the 27th, Shinzo Abe's state funeral. 29th of September. What a great day. 30th of September. Vladimir Putin goes on Russian state TV to announce that Russia has annexed Luhansk, Donetsk, Zaporizhia and Kherson. I, I hate to be that guy to tell Putin this, but by this time in the war, Ukraine was on the offensive. I know I've been staying clear of the Russo-Ukrainian war over the course of these podcasts, but the September counter-offensive by the Ukrainian army has been one of the most successful efforts of the war in terms of ground gained, or rather regained, versus lives lost and tactical advantages. The world also refused to recognise these Russian annexations, so, you know, there's another blow for the Russian president. I wonder if we won't be calling him that in 2024. Who knows? There we are. It's time to wrap up September, really. Um, and I think it, it's got to be said that the, the main theme of this was what is going on in the United Kingdom. Um, over the space of, what, about sort of four days? Uh, the sixth to, I know, um, yeah, I guess sort of four days, really. Um, on, on the 5th of September... Liz Truss was announced she'd she'd won the uh, Tory leadership election. She became Prime Minister on the the 6th, replacing Boris Johnson. On the 8th, uh, the, the Queen dies. I mean, this is a, a time of governmental and head of state change. The first time Britain and, and the UK has had a, a new head of state since 1952. I mean... Talk about upheaval and change. Um, I mean, of course, there, there are the the, old, the comments that sort of um, 
Queen Elizabeth was clearly just hanging on so that she didn't have to have Boris Johnson give the eulogy at her funeral. Um, and, and there's also the sort of Elizabeth the, the second saw Liz Truss and thought, I've had enough. But um, what a lifetime of service, you, you've got to say. In, in sort of political means, though, the, the big news was really at, at the, the end of the month with that 23rd of September kamikaze budget. I mean, I, I can't really find the words to say. Obviously, we haven't got to the real after effects of it yet in this retrospective. We'll get to them in, in part four. I mean, this will have profound effects on on the UK economy and on the political careers of all of of the people in the Truss government, most of all Kwasi Kwarteng and Liz Truss. So it it can't be overstated how politically significant the 23rd of September uh, mini-budget, the emergency mini-budget, was... Um, I mean, looking looking back to 1972, you'll be looking at the, the sort of barber boom budget that was attempted to be put forward by Ted Heath's chancellor. That was the dash for growth that that really cost the UK economy big time, and I think the the parallels there are stark. Right then, we've made it to the end of September. Don't worry, there is still another episode left to go in the series, and it will be a full one. Still got one more Prime Minister to go, remember. Next time out, we're going to cover the next Conservative Party leadership race, the midterm elections, the fallout from that, the run-up to Christmas, winter fuel shortages, and a whole lot more. So be sure to keep an eye out for that when the podcast drops. If you've missed the previous two parts, then go back through the archives to find them. You won't have too far to go if you're listening to these in early 2023. But if you're any later than that they could take some scrolling back. Retrospective Part 4 is set to be released on the 5th of January, 2023, and that will be the penultimate episode in this most recent series of Politics Unboxed. The final episode will cover predictions for 2023, which hopefully will feature at least one more voice than mine for a segment of the podcast, and that should be out on the 7th of January, but it, it you know... It may have to be delayed by a, a day or so, depending on editing and, and scheduling. So, well, you know, I'll keep you updated. For all the latest information, you can find us on Instagram at politics.unboxed, at uh, politicsu on Twitter, that's the letter U. Search for Politics Unboxed on Facebook, or go to www.politicsunboxedpodcast.wordpress.com on the email. If you want to send in an email, go on. You know you want to. is politics.unboxed at outlook.com anyway all that remains for me to say is thank you very much for listening i hope to see you all around again soon for the next episode of the politics unbox podcast which is going to be retrospective part four and until then goodbye